Vlad the Impaler, he came, he saw, and he conquered. He did everything but win the home run hitting contest and the million bucks. But he was probably the winner out of it all um, with all of the publicity and the coming out party that was Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at the All-Star Game. Pretty incredible stuff. We're going to talk about that. Welcome to Baseball Talk on Whiteman TV. I'm Steve Fitzsimmons along with a treasure trove of uh, panelists here that are phenomenal at uh, uh, talking baseball. Uh, we have Rob Whiteman to my left, Paul Hillier, Andy Clark, and Jamie Bennett. And we're going to bring you uh, all kinds of good coverage, uh, starting, of course, with the All-Star Game and the Home Run Hitting Contest uh, right off the top. And uh, Rob, I mean, you know, we were expecting uh, there to be a little bit of drama, I think, with the Home Run Hitting Contest, knowing that Vlad Guerrero was in it. Um, there was a lot of people that were criticizing the fact that he only had eight home runs to be in it in the first place. Um, well, 91 home runs later, he kind of shut a lot of people up with that. The American media was eating crow the next day, and uh, you could see it on some of the American shows. They were uh, coming out and saying, you know what, that was amazing. They couldn't believe it. Uh, there were a few people that were going on about the ball being juiced and altered the way it is this season and how MLB has admitted it, but it was pretty amazing to watch. And uh, like I said before, my favorite shot was the two home runs in the air at the same time. One hadn't landed and the other one was heading out. So it was pretty amazing to watch. And I think that's uh, kind of uh, Vladi's coming out party right there. I would wholeheartedly agree. And Paul, I mean, you're a huge Jays fan. You follow them extraordinarily closely. Um, you know, we knew this player was going to be special. But, uh, you know, the first half... Eight home runs, 25 runs batted in a batting 249. He's only 20 years old. We know that. But this sort of was the signature moment of this guy's going to be uh, a franchise player. He is. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind he's going to be the, ne the next big thing in baseball. And, I mean, you look at guys in the past, including our current best player in baseball, Mike Trout. He did next to nothing in his first year or two. And... He's now the biggest thing in baseball. So those that are sitting there not impressed with what Vladdy has done on the Jays this year, give him a chance. It's his first couple of months, and uh, he's settling in. He's learning the pitchers. You know, this is a whole different ball game compared to what he's faced in AAA and AA. These are top-notch guys, and uh, once he gets his uh, rhythm going, the balls are going to fly out of the park in the Jays game just like they did at the Derby. Andy, I mean, we, watching the, that drama unfold, I mean, you had the best players in baseball in awe of a rookie um, putting on a display like we probably haven't seen maybe going back to about 1998. Yeah, there's a whole lot of things attached to this. Uh, first of all, it's kind of interesting to see how it's evolved because uh, his father won a home run derby and uh, had a very different setup there, but I'll put it to the panel there. Each of you get one guess. How many home runs did uh, Vladdy Sr. have to hit to win the whole derby? I'm going to say about 50, maybe. I'd say about 30. I think it was more like 12. It was 17 or 27. I can't remember which 17. One. 17. Yeah. And that, that won the whole derby, 17, because it was a very different setup. It was much more novel. So times have changed, and they hyped it and hyped it and hyped it. And I think part of that is because the All-Star game has become such a colossal snooze. Right. So good on Vladdy to inject a bit of life into that what else is kind of a snooze fest the other thing though is you have to worry about there's a long history of people going into big slumps after right. the home run contest Aaron Judge the most recent last year where he put on a bit of a show and then he couldn't 
for six weeks after, couldn't seem to hit a thing. Seems to mess with their timing or something. Yeah, yeah so a home run derby is not actually baseball. And I, I think we got to be careful and cautious that we don't try and breathe too much hype into things and let Vladdy develop. As you said, mm-hmm. Mike Trout is a fantastic ball player, but after his first stint, he got sent back to the minors for a while because it didn't go too well. So, yeah, let's all take a deep breath. Let's enjoy this home run derby moment with Vlad and then give him time to percolate. Jamie, the, the format of the All-Star Game, or of the, uh, the home run hitting contest, I mean, when you hit 91 home runs and the winner hits 56, it seems a little out of skew for me, at least. Um, and I think, you know, the mainstream media certainly had similar comments. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on, on maybe how it's set up right now? I completely agree. It's, it should go to the player that gets the most of the entire tournament. Um, to, to sort of score it the way they are right now is, is not an accurate representation of who the best hitters in baseball are. Somebody, anybody can get hot and you know, do really well in one round or even do really well in one day. So having a one-day sort of experiment of, you know, let's see who the best home run hitter is in baseball of these guys that we've chosen. But if you're going to do it the most accurate way I think of doing it would be to give it to the guy who hits the most out of all the rounds. I really felt bad for for Vlad in the sense that uh, you know we know he's making five hundred and fifty five grand. You know that's certainly decent money. But it, I, in, in Major League Baseball, it's basically the the Major League Baseball minimum or really close to it. The million dollars would have been really helpful for him. Um, now, in fairness, I mean he lost to another rookie as well. But um, I just felt like you know he he probably earned the million bucks and. I think in the long term it maybe will do him some good, but uh, I mean, what do you think, Rob? I mean, it just seemed unfair a little bit. Uh, yeah, I think it did seem unfair. I think to Jamie's point, you hit 91 home runs, you should be acknowledged for it by winning the the, the, the tournament. Uh, we saw this also in about 07, 08, somewhere in there. Josh Hamilton, right? He he hit uh, a pile of home runs and still and lost. lost. To, in the in the final as Was well. it Justin Morneau? Did yes, Justin Morneau actually beat him. That's right. That's right. I think it was Yankee Stadium. Yeah, you may it's be right. Maybe the last All Star game at Yankee Stadium, the the original Yankee Stadium. So uh, we've seen this before, and yeah, you know, I Vladdy's going to get paid. That's eventually yeah, down the road for sure. Uh, I'm sure he's not hurting his dad. No, I think he has a little bit of money too. And so uh, you know, the the guy that won. Uh, it was actually it was pretty heartfelt to watch him uh, come on camera and say he's donating a bunch of the money to wounded warriors and and whatnot. So I mean, uh, everybody was good, winners. Yeah, everybody won. Yeah, I, I feel, and the fans won. They For got sure. some great entertainment. Probably the most entertaining part of the All Star break. So, in the end, uh, you know, yeah, he should have won, but. Everybody won all around. So, Paul, th- one thing that kind of struck me about it was um, the incredible importance of the person that's throwing the pitches to you. Um, we saw in a couple of occasions and cases um, that really didn't help the, the hitter at all. And you know where they got to a number of like 16 home runs, but you know the pitcher was largely responsible in in, in one particular case for that. Um, you know the father-son duo. Um, I mean he hadn't really been doing that for you know forever um whereas you know a lot of the bullpen guys and 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 coaches in major league baseball do that regularly you know um with hitters i felt like that was maybe um you know a bad choice in the end 
It wasn't. I mean, Vladimir Guerrero can, can be the biggest winner out of all that because I don't know who was pitching to Matt Chapman because he, he was the last-minute replacement for Christian Yelich who had a bad back. And I don't know who was pitching to Matt Chapman, but I was watching... And I think it was his dad. I don't know, but so many of the balls were either low, outside. like They were just not hittable balls for Matt, and I felt bad for him because Matt Chapman is a home run hitter. He equally had a chance at beating Vlad if he had the right pitching, and uh, unfortunately for him, <coughs> whoever was pitching to him just didn't give him the opportunity to do it. And at the end of the day, that, would, that made the difference to get Vladimir into that second round, and from there, he just took it off there. Mm-hmm. But uh, to, to say that he didn't win is a bit of an understatement. He may have lost that million bucks for not winning the home run derby, but let's sit and contemplate how many millions of dollars are going to be thrown at him as of, as of that night in corporate sponsorships and commercials. He's, he's going to do just fine. Yeah. I was going to say, as far as who throws you, last year, if you remember, uh, Bryce Harper won it. And uh, his dad threw to him, but that actually created some of the drama because his dad was missing the, the plate for a while, and it looked like they were going to time out before he had a chance to actually win it, but he got it back on track. I guess, Jamie, I mean, the players probably have the right to pick whoever they wish to, to pitch to, and, you know, unfortunately that didn't work out in a couple of cases, but, uh, you know, uh, I know, in, in fairness, it's probably a special moment for father and son to be able to do something like that, though. Yeah, and that was what I was going to say. I mean, for a lot of these guys, a million dollars is like pennies. These guys are making upwards. Some of them are like $30 million a year. And, I mean, a million dollars here and there is like pocket change. So they, they want the moment more than they want the money or the, or the notoriety or the fame. And, I mean, there's something to be said for that. There's something to be said for not being motivated by the money all the time. Um, you know, put on a good show for the fans. Make it a good story, which some of these guys have done. And... You know, that's, that's, that's okay. You know, as a fan, as somebody who, you know, wants to be entertained by this kind of thing, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with having a better story if it means, even if it means, you know, maybe who, you don't, who wins isn't who you think. The other thing that strikes me, too, is uh, Vladdy's been under a microscope for a very long time, essentially since he was a little kid and, you know, he was hitting balls out at 12 years old or whatever, um, you know, being around his dad. But I just thought he handled uh, the spotlight of this moment, this situation, um, with a credi- incredible aplomb, really, and dignity, and, and just enjoyed the moment and uh, didn't take it too seriously, I think, although he, he performed incredibly well under the, under the microscope and spotlight. I think he's, he's done so right since the circus began when he was called up, really. I mean, he's handled the media quite well, and yes, he's not... You know, hitting them out of the park left, right, and center. But he's, uh, I think, handled a lot of the media pressure and dealing with them quite well. He's maintained uh, an enthusiasm and a gregariousness, and it seems authentic. Absolutely. There doesn't seem to be anything forced there, and he seems comfortable, which is pretty amazing yeah. for considering his age. Yeah, for such a young guy. Absolutely. What did you guys think about the All-Star game? I mean, it was somewhat uh, um, a bit of a letdown for me compared to the, the home run hitting contest, which had a lot more excitement and drama. But, I mean, ho-hum, the AL All-Stars win again 4-3. In the last 23 years, 19-3-1. Uh, I mean, Paul, can we, can we write any 
is there any reason that the dominance of the AL over the NL, can you point to anything, or is it just one of those things? It's, it's really hard to say because it, it goes much like in hockey, where the Western Conference has always been known as the bigger, tougher divi- or conference, and, and the East is the faster, more skilled. I think it goes the same with, with the American League and the senior circuit in the National League. It's just hard to pinpoint. Um, you'll go back 35 years from now, and the National League won seven or eight in a row before that. It's just the changing of the generations and where the teams play. And I mean, with teams like the Yankees and the Red Sox, who are always powering up on the, the best and the biggest and the strongest hitters all the time, it gives, it gives the American League an edge because there are very few teams in the National League who have that kind of money to throw around like those teams do. I mean, other than the Dodgers, perhaps, right. there's not really any teams in the National League that have that kind of a, a venue where they can make that kind of money back. But in the American League, there are several teams that do have that kind of stay power. Andy, I guess my question is, uh, is it time to maybe look at something different uh, in terms of rather than just having a straight all-star game, AL versus NL, is there some other, I know I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but do you think there's some other way to do it that maybe um, gives the fans a little bit more um, entertainment value than we've seen maybe in the last little while? Well, as a comparison, you know, media has really changed. Where the all-star game used to have a real sheen to it a real shine to it because you know when we were kids a lot of us different ages here but when a lot of a lot of us were kids you didn't have 12 baseball games on a night right when we were in the 13 channel universe you had one um yeah so it was there was a lot of intrigue for us to see guys like steve garvey with the dodgers because we didn't see him on tv all the time like this past week i've watched two dodgers games which when i was a kid it was blue jays and on occasion uh Expos uh, on Radio Canada if you wanted to watch it, French language or whatever. So beyond the Jays and the Expos, we couldn't see a lot of these players, but now we see them constantly on sports TV. So I I think you'd have to address that. How do we get some mystery? How do we get some intrigue? And to my mind, that's where the World Baseball Classic, you start to see some players from other countries or different programs. Uh, As far as an all-star game, Maybe you have to look at maybe a young stars and try and build some intrigue that way by maybe having your top, you know, first two-year players or first three-year players and match them up against a team and see what happens. Yeah, the one thing that struck me is a lot of the stars in the in Major League Baseball, Jamie, are young stars. I mean, Andy brings up a very good point because um, a lot of, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying there's not some good older players, but a lot of the uh, the budding stars, the you know, the people that are just, uh, you know, in their second or third year are really uh, high-end players. They are. And, I mean, that happens in every sport. You know, there's sort of a changing of the guard, and we see that when teams go up and down the standings, and we see it when players go up and down the stat, the stat lines. So, it's you know it's going to happen um, now. To Paul's point, we always get those same teams that are willing to pony up for those players when they're eligible to hit free agency. So I mean, there's talk of you know a baseball salary cap or that kind of thing, but that doesn't seem realistic at this point. Um, but I think we can enjoy enjoy the way it is now because this is the closest we're going to get to competitive baseball. Because you know when guys like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in six years when he can walk. You think it's the Blue Jays that are going to offer him two, three hundred million? No, I don't think so. Maybe you just brought forward an idea to me: is maybe they need to make it not a single game. Maybe they may need to make it a five-game series. Give it time to percolate a little bit. There's a little more strategy: who pitches when. And I don't it, think players go, would go for that. Yeah, you'd have to have an extended break for it. But yeah. if you had very huge rosters, though, too, you could cycle more players through. 
just a thought. The, the other thing is I saw on social media, uh, sometimes in, in our sports media, it's always bigger, louder, more raw. I saw um, a Korean league, they had a bunting contest. I did see that. And yeah. you know what? It was quite fascinating. It was entrancing. It was very, and at the end of it, I felt so calm. <laughs> it was so mellow, right? They, like, put, they, they, they put the, yeah, they bring in, it's just like the setup, but they, they bunt and they have t- two huge targets, one down the third base line, now one down the third base line, and closer you get to, it's kind of like curling, right? The, cur- the closer you get to the center, the more points you get. And the, so. and the crowd was going nuts. The crowd they were right into it. it. It was amazing. I watched two the minutes of it. Crowd. I was like, they were going crazy. Oh, my blood pressure just dropped. That's <laughs> awesome. So. If I'm paying more than $500 for a seat, I don't want to be calm at the end of it. I want to be tearing yeah. my hair out, screaming and yelling at the umpires, and, and getting right into the game. I don't think I can handle that. No. You know what? I mean, uh, the bunt single really is a, a really uh, skillful type of, of move in, in Major League Baseball. I mean, we've seen Toronto Blue Jays this year with Charlie Montoya as their mon- manager be pretty adept at trying to get bunts in and, and, and getting a lot more um, singles that way, and, and, or at least attempting it um, mm-hmm. you know, to get on base than we've seen maybe in probably 20 years, Paul. Well, that's because they're going through a phase right now, and they have to find ways to get guys on base. I mean, the Blue Jays in the last 10 years, for sure, have been able to hit balls out of the park pretty well at will. And now this year, there just doesn't seem to be anything going. The batting averages are terrible, with the exception of perhaps Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and maybe one or two other guys. Because a lot of these guys are just into their first or second year, and they're still trying to find themselves. So the Jays have to manufacture runs now, as opposed to just knowing that they can send two or three guys up, and one of them's going to hit one out of the park. And uh, that's going to be their tough assignment, is to keep finding ways to get these runs across, because they're the difference whether you win a game or lose it by one run. We, uh, we did a segment last year on Baseball Talk uh, looking at the history of bunt doubles. Because I know there was another one a few weeks ago, and I believe it was Tony Fernandez and Alfredo Griffin had they'd been multiple in their careers mm. getting bunt doubles. But with that shift, it's there it's, for the taking, right? Actually, I think it was you and I that had talked about it that last year. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that was, it's one way to combat the shift. And that, I think it was a player for the Marlins, if I'm, I, I, I might yeah, be I can't remember who it was, but yeah, but he was, went yeah. oppo on on the shift. On a bunt, and he got a double. And it, yeah, in the one recently, two weeks ago, was a stand-up double on a bunt. So <laughs> if it's there, I don't see yeah. why they don't take it. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll come back to the Jays in just a moment. But uh, the fact that you're wearing a, a Montreal Expos hat leads me to a, another topic. Of course, um, Major League Baseball is coming back to Montreal, sort of half halfways anyway. Um, that situation with the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. I mean, what are your thoughts on? how that's kind of going to work, and uh, just in general, what what do you think about it? To me right now, it's just the ownership of the Rays are trying to leverage against the politicians in Tampa, and Montreal is being used as a pawn. That's my opinion. Uh, that being said, we may remember back when Montre- the Expos were exiting Montreal in the last couple of years, they played some games in Puerto Rico. Right. And uh, I don't think it worked very well for the players. They didn't enjoy it a whole lot. But to help grow the game, it, it worked. I think uh, if this doesn't work as leverage in Tampa, I think you could see ownership sell the team to somebody in Montreal. And it, 
end up moving. But I think the whole plan of sharing the team, I think that's just a... It's, pretty, it's a pretty, for me, it's a, it's a really foolhardy type of thing to yeah. do. I think it almost deflates the credibility of the franchise in many ways. Um, I mean, Paul, at the end of the day, I mean, Montreal, they're going to have to do some significant upgrading to get a, well, they're going to have to have a new venue, really, to, to get a baseball team in the long term. And, but I guess in the short term, at least uh, Montreal fans get, a, get to see Major League Baseball. Well, but they might. I mean, this isn't even going to, officially we'll going we'll to happen yet. Yeah, but, we'll see. I mean, the Olympic Stadium was terrible when they built it. So it wasn't going to get any better. I think they're it, still paying for it, actually. They, they prob- well, actually no, I think I paid it Did off about 15 years oh, ago, okay. finally. But uh, I've been in the Olympic Stadium several times, and it, it is nothing. It's not up to date anymore, obviously, because of when it was built. And right now, Tampa, <clears throat> the problem with Tampa and why they can't get anyone to come to their games, which is the, the big reason they're doing all this, is yeah. because Tampa Stadium is nowhere near Tampa. It's outside on, on the little inlet towards St. Petersburg, fans aren't going to drive half an hour outside of Tampa just to go to a game. It's like the Ottawa Senators of the NHL, where their stadium is so far outside the downtown. It's a a, a long drive. The only people over in that area are people that are down for tourism season, and they're not going to baseball games, and that's the problem they're having. But I don't know that Montreal, what they're doing, is the answer. But for the Expos themselves, I think they will get a team back. It's probably going to be four or five years down the road still because they do have to build a new facility that is going to be up-to-date standards, and it's going to take some time. Andy, uh, what are your thoughts on that whole thing? Same thing. I think uh, they're using it for leverage because if they did go to this split uh, uh, situation, well, first of all, you have to sell the players on that. And Do they really want to have apartments in two cities away right. from home, potentially, if they're not playing for a hometown team? And... Uh, you know, how do the revenues get split? How do you sell those season tickets? There's a lot of questions. What do you do when there's playoffs, if the team makes the playoffs? How do you schedule that? So there's a lot of uh, problems that way. And the, the big thing with the stadiums, both ways, you're going from having a stadium issue in Tampa and adding a stadium issue in Montreal. I know Bronfman looks very sincere in that he does want a team back there, and he's looking at every opportunity that he can. But, yeah, I just don't see it realistically happening going from one stadium issue to two stadium issues, you're doubling your problems, not cutting them in half. Jamie, it's a real shame when you look at this Tampa team. I mean, they're 52 and 39 at the break. Uh, they're only, you know, six and a half games back of a, a pretty dominant Yankees team. Uh, you know, it's, it's a shame to watch that market just fall apart. It is. And I mean, it's, but it's nothing new for the Tampa Bay no. Rays. And I mean, this is something they've been dealing with for a number of years. They remind me of the Arizona Coyotes of the MLB. Yeah. And, I mean, a solution has to come through at some point. I don't think that solution is to split between two ends of the continent in Tampa Bay, Florida, and in Montreal, Quebec. I, 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 like Andy said, I don't think you're going to sell players on that. that. That has virtually no upside for them. And, I mean, all kinds of other issues with that. But, uh, yeah, this team is, is a good team. It's, it's a relatively young team. Um, and and I'd, I'd like to see it sort of set up so that they could have some success because this is a team that hasn't had really any noteworthy success to speak of so um I, i'd like to see them get their front office sorted out and get their home sorted out then they can focus back on the field where the where the focus should be yeah it's going to be interesting to see how that develops over the next couple of years well, let's transition back to talking some toronto blue jays um so 
we're obviously at the All-Star break. 34 and 57 are the Toronto Blue Jays this year, a 374 win percentage. Um, a mere 24 and a half games back, and we're only halfway through the year. Rob, I mean, I don't think a lot of people thought the Blue Jays were going to be, you know, five or six games over 500 or anything, but I think this is probably worse than a lot of people thought it would be. I kind of had them picked at about a 75-win okay. season. I don't think I'm going to get to that. No. And uh, so, to me, it is a disappointment. But I do understand we have a very young team. Uh, we're still putting pieces together. I'm still giving the management uh, a chance. I want to see what they can do. Right. They had a few years with the old guard, the guys that were left over from Alex Anthopoulos and his crew, and uh, they've made the moves and cleaned all those guys out, and they're going to move some other guys yet. I, I think Strowman's probably next. And uh, I'm still going to give them a chance. I hadn't really didn't have very high hopes for this year. I don't have a lot of high hopes for next year either, but I I hope we see progress. I see glimmers of hope where they seem to be playing well together once in a while, and then there's other times where I just bury my face in my hands and want to cry. I, I have a question related to all this too because I know last year we were paying huge ticket prices for Donaldson and Tulowitzki, and we're still paying for Tulowitzki this year. Yeah. Um, but my question is this, because I know when the season started, I remember hearing some radio pundits mentioning that uh, they were getting reports that the parking lots around, some of the lots had got up to 50 bucks for Crazy. parking. Because when you go to a Jays game, you get soaked. It's not Absolutely. cheap, right? $13, you know, beverages. I can so tell you so I was on. just at a Jays game a couple weeks ago. I didn't find that $5 beer that everybody's been talking yeah, about. One it was kiosk. non-existent. It must be yeah. a kiosk like at one end of the building that nobody knows where it is. They said, yeah, there's one per floor where you have yeah, to try of course and, there is. Yeah, good luck to you, right? So my point is this. Are we seeing the prices and the ticket prices coming down? Because they have a glorified AAA team right now. So it, it's a weird way they that. price, you know. They have, um, they almost have it in a tiered system where Depending it depends the who they're the week, playing. Yeah. But they're playing, so I mean, they really should discount it for every game that yeah. we have to watch them play. Although, um, you know, in fairness to them, I mean, Jamie, the truth is, I mean, they've got some nice pieces that uh, that are in in place here, um, starting with Guerrero Jr. But uh, I mean. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. has been nothing short of a revelation, I think, in the first half. A guy that they literally sent to AAA, and he came back with a, mm -hmm. as hot a bat as anyone in Major League Baseball. He did, and I mean, this is something that Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins were known for in Cleveland, um, that they had success rebuilding from the ground up. Uh, but it's hard for us as Blue Jays fans because we were coming off a couple of years where we had the first playoff success since 1993. And, I mean, it's hard to do an almost 25-year sort of rebound to that. And that's, I mean, that's a long time. And I mean, I say that as a Leaf fan that's been over 50 years um, since we've had anything to celebrate. But, um, you know, I was very upset with the way they handled Josh Donaldson. Uh, I think if they'd have sold him off in the offseason, they could have gotten something. I heard, in fact, and I, I unfortunately can't remember the name, but uh, the player from the St. Louis Cardinals that won Rookie of the Year um, was supposed to be part of the trade to bring Donaldson to St. Louis, and the Blue Jays turned it down. Wow. 
So that one kind of stings. That's true. And yes. the, the pitcher that we got in, in return for him last year, maybe he becomes something, maybe he doesn't. But, uh, I mean, I'm sort of looking at it from a, a negative lens because of, of my frustration with some of the decisions that have been made. You were looking at it more through a positive lens, and there are some cert- certainly some positive pieces to see. Vlad Guerrero, Bo Bichette, Loris Gurriel Jr. Uh, I think Paul and I differ on Teoscar Hernandez. <laughs> Um, but you know, Kevin Biggio. I mean, he's looked good. Kevin Biggio is is another one. Yeah. Um, I'd like to see some more young arms like that have a high ceiling. Um, I don't know a whole lot about Alec Manoa, the guy that they took in the first round this year. Uh, I hope I pronounced that right. Um, but uh, it was good to see a guy that was excited to be a Toronto Blue Jay is committed to being a Toronto Blue Jay. And uh, if they do decide that they're going to move on from Marcus Stroman and, and less so from Aaron Sanchez because his value is fairly low right now. Um, I'd like to see them get some arms like the ones they were dealing away when they were competitive that have a relatively high ceiling before I think they can be competitive. Paul, I mean, when you look at this core, uh, you know, he mentioned the name Bo Bichette. Uh, Marcus Stroman at the All-Star Game mentioned Bo Bichette that, uh, you know, he's looking forward to seeing him soon. Um, I mean, the guy's been tearing the cover off the ball in AAA. Um, he's their next uh, marquee player without a question, it seems, from what he's been doing. But uh, where do you see that uh, situation in developing? Well, I mean, I don't think they have a lot of choice but to bring him to the major league team this year because he's done everything he can do at the junior level. He's in a situation where his growth is going to be stunted if he doesn't get there and learn to grow a little bit. Unfortunately for right now, the Blue Jays have too many middle infielders that are all exceptional. We've got now Gurriel playing out in the outfield, and he is getting it, and I think that's where he's going to stay. But we have Kevin Biggio playing there. We have... um, Oh, my mind just lost Hernandez. his name. Gal- uh, Freddie Galvis is who I was Galvis, going after yeah. there. Who is a guy they brought in to kind of backstop these guys and help them out, but he's played phenomenally there. They've got Eric Sogard, another guy who's been around a few years who's playing great baseball this year. So their middle infield situation is, is kind of tight right now, so they're going to have to sit and make decisions and go, okay, these are the guys we're going to go with and maybe trade off uh, Sogard or Freddie Galvis and get something decent in return while they're still high. But what about Devin Travis, the guy that's full-time IR? Yeah. Well, that's the problem. Got, that's and, and that's the problem. Devin Travis is my, my youngest daughter's favorite Blue Jay, and I happen to have disagreements with her about this player all the time because he doesn't play. He's a guy who is going to constantly have injuries. He just can't seem to get one part of his body healthy, but the next one falls apart. And this guy's not an older guy. I mean, some of us are, are getting into our mid, mid-life situation here, and our bodies are starting to hurt in places. And this guy is a young man. He shouldn't be in this bad condition right now, and uh, I don't see a future for him with the Blue well, Jays. I think he, the, whatever his contract runs out, that's going to be To be, be fair, it. Donaldson missed, what, three months with slight discomfort in his calf. I know. That was at 95%, just slight discomfort when he ran the bases. And he still managed to miss, what, three more months with the Jays? Magically healed as soon as he was in Cleveland. Hit a grand slam first game, but... Yeah. yeah, so Devin Travis, maybe it's the Blue Jay flu or something. And then there's the Troy Tulowitzki of the world, who we're, we're as Blue Jays, the Blue Jays are paying him this season $19.45 million to not be here. He's their highest paid player, yeah. I would rather play it, pay him to sit at home than to play for the Yankees? Yeah, or sit in, on the DL or wherever he's yeah. going to be. And now he is sitting at home now. They've 
basically sent him home from the Yankees. Whether it's hockey or baseball, I just hate that when they buy part of the contract. It's like... Yeah. yeah, I mean it handcuffs the team, right? Because they're paying out forty-eight yeah. plus you know million the, you dollars know the this solution? year. Guys that aren't even on the team anymore. Don't sign stupid contracts, Exa- and that's exactly <laughs> it. There's the solution. Yeah. Well, you know, you know what? One of the most value contracts. Speaking of stupid contracts, I mean, when we look at value contracts on the other end of the spectrum, I mean, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. four years, twenty-eight million. Paul looks like absolute brilliance by the Toronto Blue Jays right now. Uh, so far, it's looking good. I mean, the start of the season was a little rough for him, but uh, they sent him back to the, to the AAA for a couple of weeks to work out a few kinks, and he's mm-hmm. come back. Uh, and, and you're right, it's looking like a great contract now. He uh, developed the yips, if people remember. It wasn't his bat. That was the concern, was he couldn't find first base from second base. Mm-hmm. He was throwing them away all the yeah. time. Ah, that's Steve Sachs. That's happened to a few players along yeah. the way. Steve Sachs, great player. He was an all-star several times, but he had a couple seasons where he literally... Could not even shovel the ball to first base. He had some Chuck, mental Chuck block. Knobloch was Chuck another Knobloch, guy with yeah. the Yankees. Uh, all of a sudden, he couldn't throw from second to first. Yeah. Hernandez, and there's another topic, is Teoscar Hernandez has had a few misadventures as a fielder. It seems uh, the people vilify him right away for it, where Lourdes, people don't mind so much. We've already forgotten that he couldn't yeah. you know, get it to first base. So interesting. Tale of two different prospects. It is, and maybe maybe it's a tale of expectations too, right? And and where you are in your career, um, I think a lot of people, you know, have a lot of faith in, and and want to see Lourdes Gurriel Jr. develop, and they don't have quite the same rope for uh, for Teoscar Hernandez. Is my kind of impression of it. But uh, well, what about Adam Lind? I mean, who remembers Adam Lind and the the fact that he fell apart, and then everybody was like, oh, he's done, he's done. But he came back, and he came back pretty well. Yep. Absolutely. And, he, and he, he had some respectable seasons. Mm-hmm. Once he left the Jays, he, he bounced around a little bit. Milwaukee, I think he was the down there. So with the Nationals near the end. And uh, he put together some respectable seasons. He oh, really, sure he did. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like, um, sort of to a prior point, um, I remember hearing a, a thing that said Troy Tulowitzki would rather go home than not be the short, starting shortstop. If I had been in administration with the Toronto Blue Jays, I had called his bluff on that, and I had said, you're not the starting shortstop on the Toronto Blue Jays. I don't think he would have been, regardless of pay grade, and uh, hoped he would have gone home and suspended him without pay. Mm-hmm. See how well he responds to you know $20 million not being in his pocket not to be here. Yeah. So that would have been the way I would have approached that, but they certainly didn't call me and ask me. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Um, clearly this month is going to be quite... Uh, telling as far as uh, the trade deadline upcoming and, and what teams are going to do. And it's obvious the Toronto Blue Jays are going to be sellers. The question is, what are they going to sell? And, and who are they going to sell? Um, Andy, I mean, Marcus Stroman has pitched incredibly well. He was an all-star this year, um, although his record doesn't indicate that in terms of wins. But, I mean, it seems somewhat counterproductive. You need some veteran guys with some leadership abilities. I know he has a lot of value probably to other teams, but... Um, when you're trying to lead the way and, and mentor young players, I'm not sure that's maybe the right approach to, to trade a good player like that. Yeah, there seems to be this big trend where everyone wants everyone to sell the house, but you need to balance out developing your prospects with having some reliable. And you know what? He's a guy there that not everyone loves him, but he is passionate. And uh, when he hasn't won a lot of those games, he's put the ball over the plate quite well. He just hasn't got that run support. Um, you know, whereas the Sanchez has had some other difficulties along the way or some other players there. I, I would say I'd actually lean towards them keeping him at least, you know, even extend him for a year or two 
because he is passionate, he is interesting, he is reliable. You got to have somebody to pitch. Right now, they need more pitchers, not less. I actually, there was on Twitter, uh, I can't remember who said it, but in two to three years, the Jays are going to be looking for a guy in his early 30s who is higher end, that can anchor the rotation, and they're going to have to try to convince him to come up to Toronto. They're going to have to pay him extra to come up to Toronto. They already got the guy sitting in Toronto, and he wants to stay. Yeah. And he would extend. I feel the and same way about Justin Smoke. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, uh, he. some people don't like Stroman's antics. It gets a little tiring when he starts spouting off in the media sometimes. It's like, shut up, dude. Just play your game. Uh, but he's good. And he wants to pitch on the big stage. He wants to be in those big games. And uh, you know what? Put him out there and just sign him. I think you still have some uh, people to trade that you could, uh, possibly Ken Giles, you know, some other people that are within the organization. And plus, are all these young prospects going, going to fit? You know, there might be somebody out there that might say, hey, you know, we want Guriel or whatever, and we'll pay you quite well for him. And well, you know what? He we could he could be expendable because we got all these other great prospects. So it's funny I hadn't really thought of that, but that is yeah. possible. Like somebody could maybe bring an offer like that. Yeah, somebody's somebody may have to go yet to get I mean, some pitching. So you know, you brought up a name, Ken Giles. Um, Paul, I mean, this guy has been lights out for the Toronto Blue Jays. He's probably been their most effective player in in a lot of ways. Certainly in pitching, um, he has to have a lot of trade value. You would think to to the right team that maybe uh, the Jays could get a king ransom for this guy. He does, and the, the re- actually, I heard t- today actually that the Minnesota Twins were knocking on doors a little bit about Ken Giles because they're trying to upgrade their pitching staff. They're in a, in a situation where they're probably going to make the playoffs, but their pitching isn't absolutely fantastic. And you add a guy like Ken Giles to the back end of that rotation, not to the rotation, but to the back end of that bullpen, right. saving games, closing them out for you. That's the kind of guy they need. Um, Ken Giles, to me, is probably the one Blue Jay who is on his way out the door, and it's not because they don't want him or don't need him in Toronto. It's because right now he has a lot of value to those teams that are going to the to the playoffs, and they're going to get the best return for him. And, like, you know, I agree completely with what Rob said. That there's probably a good chance that someone like Galvis, Bichette, maybe even Biggio, like one of these guys may have to be traded because there's just too many of them. And, you know, none of us really want to see that happen because these guys have so much potential, but you can't have five guys playing two positions and you can't put somebody like one of these guys out in center field because that's not their position and it's not where they're going to excel. If Gurriel survives out in left field and makes a career out of it, I'll be happy for him because he looks like he has the tools, but uh, right now... It, it's, a, it's a hard guessing game for the Blue yep. Jays, and they're going to have to make some tough decisions pretty soon. Yep. Well, I'll tell you right now, if someone like a Brandon Drury left in a trade, I don't think too many people would be heartbroken, but if Kevin Biggio walks out the door, you better it's be getting hurt. something spectacular that can play right now. You're going to have a lot of angry fans. A top, top pitching prospect yeah. Yeah. that is right, has ready a, to go. Ready to go. Yeah. You know, right at the door. That's, I think, what you're going to be looking at so jamie i mean aaron sanchez is a bit of a conundrum really because you know he has potential we've seen it in the past he's pitched very well but he's pitching probably the worst he's ever pitched in the major leagues which means his market value is incredibly low right now 
Um, I'm a little frustrated with the, what the Jays are doing with them personally. I wonder if they shouldn't maybe put him back to the bullpen and kind of, uh, you know, narrow down where he only has to pitch an inning type of thing because he just seems to not be uh, doing what, what he needs to do to be successful. That was actually going to be my suggestion, that they move him back to the bullpen. Um, when you look at Aaron Ch- Sanchez's stats, um, his ERA has actually gone up every year since he made it to the majors except for that one exceptional year in 2016 when he decreased it from the previous year. And... I mean, this guy, he's got skill. I mean, I know he's had the blister issues and things like that, but, I mean, that's not career-threatening. I mean, you wouldn't think. So, I mean, he's still got that high ceiling. He's still relatively young. So, I mean, why not give him another shot in the bullpen? I mean, you've got a lot of arms that you can sort of stretch out to start the game or you can do a starter for the starter like they've done before. Um, and then, you know, just sort of take a bit of the pressure off of him. You know, if he's not working those high pitch counts, then you know, maybe his fingers relax a little bit. Maybe his confidence goes back up. And, I mean, I really think that that's a a good move for the Toronto Blue Jays to move Aaron Sanchez back to the bullpen. If we're putting odds on who might be traded, I mean, what are the two players you guys think are the most likely to go? I mean, Rob, before we chime in, maybe this would be a good chance for us to put up our uh, Twitter poll. Oh, yeah, let's do that. Because it asks pretty much that same question. Yeah, exactly. So let's do that. Yeah. Yeah. so on, we're actually using our Hockey Talk uh, Twitter poll for this one That's right okay. now. We uh, Hopefully soon we'll have our uh, baseball page up and running. But uh, the question was, who would you most like to see the Blue Jays to use as trade bait right now? And the choices were Aaron Sanchez, Marcus Stroman, Justin Smoke, and Teoscar Hernandez. And for those of you that aren't watching on TV and are catching our high-quality podcast on Pod- Podomatic, you can download it for free if you go to our... Uh, Again, our Hockey Talk Twitter right now. But you can click on that and listen to it online, or you can download for free. But for the people that are listening to the podcast, uh, Paul's going to give you the results here. Yeah, we had uh, Teoscar Hernandez came in at 9%. That would be the lowest one. Um, Justin Smoke, 10%. I think that probably should have been a wee bit higher because I think he's probably going to go somewhere. He could bring return, but you know what? That's the same we were talking about. I think he's quality. Yeah. you got to hang on to quality somewhere, right? Rowdy Tellez is right around the corner, though. That's, that's where I'm going with that I'd one. rather see Rowdy go than Smoke. I think Smoke's a much more proven quantity. We'll see. Uh, and, then, and now we've come to our two uh, highest numbers, which are both pitchers that may or may not be here at the end of the year. Aaron Sanchez at 29%, and then, uh, of course, Marcus Stroman at 52%. So uh, a lot of the people out there think that Marcus Stroman is probably their best trade chip right now. How much and of that is the media, though, saying Stroman's going to go, Stroman's going to go? At this point, it's it's hard to say, but the, you know how it is. The media is pretty well the ones that dominate most of the rumors. And hey, we're part, we're part of the media. We are, and I mean, I, I'm I'm the one who brought it. We're up talking about, Ken, about Ken it. Giles. And we're doing it right now. Ken Giles is probably going to go. I I don't have any proof of this. Nobody's called no. me to say the trade is done. It makes logical sense. It's, it's, it's logical. It, it's something that again, yeah. it's logic. It if makes a lot of sense. If you ask the question, who can get them the best return that's ready now? You're right. I think Ken Giles would answer yeah. that question. And I also I think too, Jamie uh, Strowman is saying he's going to go. I mean, he, oh, he I said so. at the uh, uh, at the All Star game, I don't expect to be a Blue Jay at the end of the season. You know, oh, I think I think you're absolutely right about yeah. that. And I mean, it's unfortunate, but I mean, once yeah. a guy sort of in a way checks out like that, it's kind of an inevitability. Yeah, uh, when he pitched at Yankee Stadium there a week or two ago, 
you know, they were saying it's a showcase. He wants to be on the stage. And, I mean, there's no bigger stage than the pitcher, pitcher's mound at Yankee Stadium. Right. So uh, I think the one team that has come up in the last day or two was Atlanta Braves. I mean, Alex Anthopoulos is the GM down there. He's familiar with Stroman. And they have, I believe, the second uh, highest ranking for farm systems in MLB. There's lots not, of prospects. Not to, not to mention they have Josh Donaldson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, San Diego is another team that has been linked to him. I, one guy that kind of intrigues me in San Diego is uh, a young Cal Quantrill, Paul yeah. Quantrill's son, who pitched at Rogers Center when San Diego was in right. town earlier this season and pitched very well. Yeah. I believe it was on the Friday night of yeah. that series. And, uh, you know, maybe they could pull him away from San Diego. So there's, uh, I think, lots of landing spots for Strowman. And oh, yeah. uh, he's, he's going to be sought after, and I, I, I expect a bit of a bidding war for him. All right, That's so sure. we all acknowledge probably Strowman is a guy that most likely is going to go, and, and potentially Giles. If you look at the next grouping of players, Jamie, who's the next guy maybe that uh, has, a good, has a chance of being traded in your mind? For me, it's Justin Smoke. Um, and in a way, um, it's sort of wishful thinking because I think that this is a guy you can really sell on high. He's on a reasonable contract. And, I mean, he's, he's sort of come into his own with the Blue Jays. He was a highly touted prospect out of, I believe, Texas's system. Right. Um, sort of failed to catch on with Seattle and then sort of came into his own with Toronto. So I think you can sell high on him and, and bring in some decent futures um but again maybe that's wishful thinking on on my perspective and I mean, we talked a little bit about ken giles too um if you're the boston red sox do you not have to be in on ken giles i think you do with with your dumpster fire of a bullpen yeah and that's actually i think a lot of the pundits right now within the media the red sox are the top of their list for landing spots for giles uh they just see such a good fit his personality and uh, in that team, so it would be very sad. I I, I think uh, Ken Giles is actually a pretty good leader mm-hmm. uh, with the way his temperament is. I don't know if anybody noticed saw it the other night. Uh, Guerrero Jr. and I believe it was Tellez came out of the dugout while he was being interviewed and doused him with uh, Gatorade. He dropped an F-bomb on live on air. Uh, they soaked his game glove, his ball glove, and uh, he was mad, really mad. And a lot of the people in the media said, well, guarantee you, you're not going to see that happen again because he will have gone down to the clubhouse afterwards and had a little chat with the young guys said would, would have said knock he's, it off he's got to run into some issues with his temper along the way right famously yeah, last year punching yeah. himself yeah. and having a few yeah. uh, outbursts at coaches and stuff like that getting yeah. caught last year he's yeah. got some rage issues yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and spring training this year as well too uh, another pitching uh, prospect or a minor league pitcher refused to do a drill and as I think it was uh, the fan 590 was on the air they were broadcasting. You could hear Giles just cursing this kid out in the background, out on the field, because he, this kid refused to do a drill that, a fielding drill. 
and you could hear all these F-bombs on the air with uh, Kevin Barker and Jeff Blair, and, and uh, they had to cut the, the radio feed for <laughs> a couple minutes while that went on. So, yeah, it, 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 he's, a, he's a leader, I believe. Uh, maybe you kind of need guys like that once in a while to tune in, tune in to the To an extent. Guys. For a long yeah. time, it was way the other. You, there's tons and tons of stories of how veterans were pretty abusive to players yeah. and yeah. crossing the lines all over the place, yeah. right? And feeling very entitled, too, right? That's right. As yeah. long as you don't do that, that's the big thing. Yeah. And this is a different generation, too, right? That, yeah. You know, I, Paul, I think you referenced this earlier about the fact that uh, you know, the middle infield position for Toronto is a bit of a logjam there. I mean, is there a logical person there that maybe uh, somebody would, would find useful elsewhere that Toronto would be willing to part with? I don't, I don't know that there, there is a really good answer to this question because I'm looking at the guys they have in the middle infield positions now and I really don't want to see any of them go. But if you, if you have to, you could always go with Freddie Galvis. Right. He's, he's a guy from a, another team's perspective who is a great great middle infielder. He's got the range to play short or second, probably even third if you really needed him to. He, he's a good speed guy. He steals the odd base for you. Plus, he's got a little pop in his bat, and he's hitting 270, which is respectable. He's a guy you could use down the stretch heading into the playoffs. And uh, if, if I had to choose somebody that's on the current roster now that isn't uh, a high-end big-name player, Freddie Galvis would be the guy I would think that there'd be teams knocking on doors asking about his availability. I mean, Andy, a guy that, you know, has been... He's a little bit strange for me, like in watching his interviews and how he kind of conducts himself. But the guy is a player and, and has been a good pitcher for Toronto for quite a few years. Um, Joe Biagini, to me, could be somebody that has value to another team that they might uh, be willing to pay something fairly heavy duty for. Yeah, and I think if the offer was right, that would be the caveat if the offer is right. Because I put him in that category with Justin Smoke and, and Stroman where you got to keep something while you're developing all these players. And I think Biagini's been one of the most reliable in, amongst a lot of pitchers that have not been reliable, either by injury or performance or both. So I, I would, I'd be reluctant to see him go, but if someone gave me a sweetheart deal, especially a starter that was promising, I'd say uh, I'd, I'd, I'd look at it. Randall Grichik is another name up there. I don't know if he's enough to, to get an arm or not uh, on your mound, but he's someone who's increased his stock. So he's someone that, given that they have a bit of a logjam for uh, position players, he's someone they could shop around to. And he has control for several years yeah, because of that, that extension. I would certainly miss Biagini's interviews, though. Yes, <laughs> they're different. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess, Rob, I mean, w one player that's kind of, I mean, I, I don't think we thought maybe he was going to be as good as this, or I, at least I wasn't thinking that he was, is, is uh, Rowdy Telez. I mean, you know, he came in and basically has been one of their best hitters and, and has looked great um, at the plate for Toronto and, and looks like he has a bright future, but uh, has that created a situation where maybe they can part with somebody because of that? Maybe not quite yet. Uh, I think Telez still has a little bit bit to go yeah. as far as developing. He's been fairly consistent, uh, maybe a little bit uh, consistently up and down a little bit, right. but... Uh, it's fairly steady. I I like seeing that he's getting lots of playing time, and uh, I think he's got a little ways to go yet with his development. He kind of had some setbacks last year on a personal level, and it was amazing to watch him uh, play last September 
and after going through what he did, I personally I wanted to go down the field and give him a big hug for <laughs> everything he had gone through with his family. Yeah. And uh, you know, I so it's great to see him with the big club and developing the way he is. And I, I actually I'm really rooting for Ruddy Tellez. I, I hope he does well. I think he would be a good solid first baseman and for a long time. Well, he's certainly shown, you know, capability that, uh, as you say, when he gets a, a little more consistency that yep. he could be, he, he's showing the flashes of, of you know, a good uh, up-and-coming young player that uh, might be more than we thought he was going to be. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. All right. Um, let's take a look back, guys, now um, as we get down to, to, the, to the end of the show coming up here in a few minutes um, at some of the players that were on the team for the Toronto Blue Jays in the recent years and even last year and, and take a look at kind of where they're at this year with their new club. So we'll, uh, we'll put some of those up. And why don't we start with Edwin Encarnacion. And so Edwin, um, you know, he's had a couple of homes here this year, of course, uh, starting with Seattle and then going to the New York Yankees. Um, I mean, Edwin uh, continues to produce. And, uh, you know, unlike, uh, you know, his cohort for many years, Jose Batista, who's completely out of the majors, that we'll talk about that as well. But, um, I mean, Jamie, this guy um, is proving uh, he's durable and he, you know, he, he, can, uh, he can bring it. So full disclosure, I was not a fan of the team bringing in Edwin Encarnacion when they did. This is years and years ago. I was in high school. You know, I was not happy. I thought this is a guy that, that didn't, um, he, he didn't ever reach his potential. And why are we bringing in another one of these reclamation projects? And remember, they had him. They lost him on waivers to uh, Oakland, I believe it was. And then they uh, ended up bringing him back when Oakland non-tendered him. And he turned out to be one of the players I've been the most wrong about in all of professional sports. And I was quite upset when they let him go and immediately, basically, filled the gap with Kendris Morales. And Kendrick Morales never really was a fit as a Blue Jay anyway. I mean, he had some decent stats for a little while, but, I mean, I think that they could have extended their um, their competitive window, perhaps, if they'd have kept Encarnacion around. And at least it would have been a fan favorite. And, well, the rest of these guys move on with their careers. So, um, I, yeah. I don't know. It was just, it's sort of been a, a turning point for me when it comes to evaluating athletes, and particularly baseball players. 25 home runs, 56 home runs batted in. A uh, pretty solid first half for Edwin Encarnacion. Um, okay, let's move on to uh, to Josh Donaldson. And, I mean, Andy, uh, I'll give you this one. I've already uh, uh, had a lot to say about Josh. Yeah. I know, and that's why I'm going to throw this at you. Um, you know, when you look at his numbers in the first half, 18 home runs, 45 runs batted in. Um, not not horrible. Uh, maybe not where you maybe thought he, not where he would have been a few years ago, but respectable, I think. Your yeah. thought? Oh, you know, he's respectable. He's a t- talented ball player, but I just don't want anyone to give me this rubbish that he's a gamer ever again. If you miss three months with slight discomfort in your calf, um, you know, when you're running the bases, I'm sorry. And then there was something disingenuous going on, and that was a fan base that had opened their hearts to him. Yeah. And he refused to play for them for whatever reason. I don't know what was behind the scenes. But when you're being paid $17 million... You can deal with slight discomfort in your calf when you're running the bases. I'm sorry. And, you know, he ended up in Cleveland, hits a grand salami the first time he's, he's uh, or not first appearance, but first game pretty much. Like, I don't know. 
I wash my hands of Donaldson. All right. Have your fun somewhere else. All right. Well, let's take a look at uh, Kevin Pilar. Um, and, and uh, I mean, Paul, this one really hurt, I think, for a lot of Blue Jays fans who really loved watching Kevin Pilar, in particular more with, with the glove than the bat. But, uh, you know, he, he's fit in nicely on his new team and uh, had a pretty, pretty good uh, first half, 12 home runs, 47 runs batted in. Good numbers for him. He is, and I'm still crying over it. I mean, you can't see it from there, but the jersey I'm wearing is Kevin Pillar, and uh, he, he is the one, blue, the one former Blue Jay that I miss the most. It, yeah, I mean, his hitting was iffy at best, and but that's not why they paid him the money they paid him. He was out in the outfield catching balls that none of these guys could catch, and I know Jamie and I will differ on this next comment, but Teoscar Hernandez looks like a monkey out there compared to what Kevin Pillar did. Doesn't have the range has had some serious issues with tracking the ball, whereas Pilar, I maybe saw him miss two balls out there in his entire career with the Blue Jays, and he caught way more than anyone ever expected him to, and he's the guy that is making a big difference in that outfield right now. And he can steal some bases, and the Jays need more speed on the base yeah. paths. And I think, too, when we talk about those leadership guys, I, thought, I think he would have been an excellent guy to yeah. the guy keep around. As a leader, the guy cr- cried when he got traded. Yeah, said that he's leaving Toronto. Like he, he was the only one. When you he look loved at that city, yeah. th- his history, yeah. uh, he he came up when John Gibbons was in his first or second year. Uh, Gibbons pulled him uh, for a pinch hitter late in the game. He went down to the into the tunnel and he smashed his bat and threw a temper tantrum. And the next day he was gone back to the minors and he learned his lesson. And he came up. And he worked his butt off after that, and he worked. He's still working his butt off, and I think he would have been a, a great guy to keep around as an example to these young guys. And there has to be something said for the fans love him, right, yeah. and his work yeah. ethic. So, yeah. Okay, guys. Uh, final summation in 15 seconds or less. What do you hope to see from the Toronto Blue Jays in the second half, Jamie? Um, basically, continue to grow the youth. Um, you're not going to win a whole lot of games, so at least make it entertaining. Andy. Yeah, at this point, that's the best you can hope for is that they don't sell every viable piece and that, yeah, we have fun watching Beauchat and Biggio and those guys develop. Paul? For, for me, it's to get some young pitching prospects in and, continue, and to get these guys to go with the young guys they already have in the core, and I look forward to what they're going to do in two to three years from now. But that's what they got to get is get some arms for that future. Well, they got a good good pitcher in Double A that's just a, a fireball, hundred mile an hour fastball. So we'll see him. Maybe we'll see him soon. Rob, I'm going to go with Vladdy going on a tear, okay, and just going nuts and just knocking the snot out of the ball. How about that? I think that would be great, and I, I think I that be, would be fantastic to watch. And you know what? I think I think we're going to have to look for little snapshots like that of uh, you know not declaring success with wins and losses, and maybe looking at other areas. Well, that's another edition of Baseball Talk, the first one of this season. We will see you next week right here on Baseball Talk on Whiteman TV.